Welcome to Elevate, a podcast from JPA Health. At Elevate, JPA industry experts with over 50 years of experience in public affairs will share best practices and innovative ideas to influence the changing health landscape. Every episode, JPA will explore issues and trends impacting the intersection of policy, business, and society in health. We can't wait to share the tips and tricks that your organization can execute to manage the outside and inside game to elevate your interests. So welcome to the first episode of Elevate, the new podcast from JPA Health's public affairs team. I'm Pat Brady. I'm a senior vice president at JPA. In each podcast, the leaders of JPA's public affairs team will discuss different issues that are at the intersection of health, healthcare, and policy. And we talk about how we'd approach influencing the national conversation on these issues, whether it's in Washington, D.C., or in a divided Senate, or having to go out to the states um, and begin the conversation there. I'm joined today by my colleagues, Adjua and Ryan, both vice presidents at JPA. Uh, Both have extensive Capitol Hill experience, and today we're going to be talking about the topic of telehealth. Hi, Pat. Thank you. In the last Congress, right before, uh, so in the 116th, again, we're in the 117th now, in in the last Congress, I think right before the end of the year, there was consideration for about $7 billion, that's billion with a B, to expand broadband access to low-income households. Just in this Congress, we have talked about, you know, potentially some spending packages being wrapped up in the COVID relief. More importantly, uh, in the House last Congress, there's also, you know, sort of a unique mixture of committees coming together for telehealth initiatives. And, you know, sort of the way that works is, you know, typically a committees will vie for uh, their own bills, their own packages, and kind of push those forward. But in the last Congress, especially around the issue of telehealth, we saw an unprecedented cross-committee collaboration, particularly in the House. And then that that collaboration also kind of permeated over to the Senate side, which is also kind of a rare thing. That was really great um, setup, Ryan. And at, at this point, I would want to comment on uh, what we're seeing from our own proprietary tool, Gretel, which uh, scrapes information and looks at the different audiences at JPA Health to assess who is talking about an issue at what point and what are they saying. And interestingly enough, we saw that the policy conversation was also increasing about telehealth as the clamoring from the health community continued. But what we do see is gaps in this conversation. We see that uh, whereas the policy conversation continued to use terminology around telemedicine, the health community was talking about telehealth. And why is this important? Telemedicine is a much stricter and narrower focus when it comes to remote healthcare services than telehealth. Telehealth typically refers to more um, non-clinical services and broader services that can be incorporated in care delivery. And this is important because what we're seeing here from Gretel is that as the innovation was coming from the ground in care delivery to meet the needs of this changing environment due to the pandemic, 
the health community was quickly adapting to it, whereas perhaps the policy community was slower to recognize these changes. You did mention, of course, that uh, you know CMS, the administration, looked to introduce more flexibilities around the definitions of telehealth. But I think the question now moving forward is, what will this look like in a more permanent way? Now that we've seen all this innovation, now that policy is trying to catch up to it. What, what does this mean then for industry um, who have telehealth business interests um, and are thinking about their public affairs strategy in this landscape? Certainly there's heightened conversation about this, but as we've seen, there is varying bills that are being introduced with no sense of a cohesive strategy. And as there's been discussion lately about permanent telehealth solutions, including perhaps even Medicare mandates, it may be necessary to really have this conversation about what is the likelihood of this 50-50 Senate, a split Senate, um, advancing any kind of permanent uh, health solutions, including telehealth solutions. And I pitched that to you, Ryan, given the the landscape that you just provided, what do you think of the likelihood that the split Senate could advance this issue? You know, I think it's it's likely if two things happen in my mind. First and foremost, patients are given a reason to engage with their lawmakers and representatives on this issue. You know, for any senator, it's tough. You represent an entire state, so you're constantly in between rural interests and urban interests and all kinds of different patient populations, especially when it comes to accessing healthcare. And each one of those populations is going to face a different challenge. If senators can and their staff start to wrap their head around the fact that the patients are really the ones that that want this, their constituents are the ones that want this greater access. And while they may want that for different reasons, it's up to the senators to sort of devise a plan and maybe mimic what the House did in the last Congress, which was initiate some of that cross-committee collaboration Um, maybe consider some standalone telehealth bills. You know, there's a lot of public polling information out there suggesting that patients and lawmakers alike, frankly, uh, are really tired of having to message massive bills with tons of non-germane content in there. And when you have a, what I call a go issue, right? Like telehealth, where there's a lot of consensus about access to it, Everything else, the particulars that you mentioned, Ajwa, about, you know, whether the payers, you know, want it or whether it needs to be deemed as a certain way within Medicare or have a a certain regulatory component to it, that's the details, right? But the consensus and the constituency is there. So for healthcare associations or companies who have a vested interest in making sure that telehealth is accessible to their patients, that they're able to, you know, meet their bottom line and expand in the way that they want to. It's really important to focus less, you know, on the minutia of the regulatory change and more on the communications and public affairs aspects of engaging with these senators, even engaging with prominent House members, right, or committee chairs, and using slim margins in the House, the 50-50 Senate, um, as an opportunity rather than a roadblock 
to actually get maybe a standalone telehealth bill passed. It could have multiple components. It could be a giant bill. It could have a hefty price tag, as most things in Congress do have these days. But it can still be a sort of single subject, right? And that single subject, telehealth, they can message on these things. They can build a broad coalition of multiple people within the telehealth space that can actually take on various components of messaging those things and then getting it over to the senators and the staff to create buy-in and uh, really create the impression that the industry and patients have their back and therefore it's time to move forward with some legislation. Yeah, it's, I mean, on the face of it, it looks pretty rosy, right? That, or it should be pretty rosy in the sense of there's already precedent of bipartisan participation on this issue. We have the Senate Telehealth Caucus, for example, that includes a bipartisan group of 30 senators that have been looking at this issue. And I think it's, I think it's telling that uh, Minority Leader Mitch McConnell and Senator Majority Leader Chuck Schumer have both issued statements in support of permanent expansion of telehealth. But as we know, the devil is in the details. I wonder if the support of um, incoming uh, Health and Human Services Secretary Xavier Becerra could tip the scales when it comes to what would inevitably be issues regarding how to, how to price this, particularly when you're talking about, about Medicare and the ability to expand the definition of telehealth in, in Medicare. You know, it's a 50-50 Senate, and so perhaps then the White House might have more of a influence uh, than, than normal. Do you see the White House influencing um, this split Senate in this way, or do you think that this will be essentially hashed out amongst the senators? Yeah, I, you know, I actually think that the White House um, is probably less effective, you know, in the sense in moving this forward from actually, you know, the sausage making process, right? The actual compilation of legislation. I don't think, you know, a 50-50 Senate Kamala Harris, you know, Vice President Harris doesn't have sort of the gusto, I think, in the Senate to really push that past the line. But I do think Becerra, should he be, you know, confirmed, does. And the reason why, now there's been a lot of talk about Becerra, you know, oh, he's not really a healthcare guy. You know, he doesn't come from the HHS world. He hasn't really done it. In some ways, especially for telehealth, that could be an incredible advantage. And the reason why is, you know, Becerra got a start in the House, uh, then he became AG of California to take, you know, Senator Harris's spot. And now he's, you know, poised to be in HHS. And I think that's an advantage for telehealth and advancing telehealth legislation, particularly because he understands constituencies. He's not a bureaucrat. He is a politician. And he understands constituencies. He understands being pulled in both directions from rural to urban and suburban interests. Um, and he also understands the power of messaging. Listen, you don't get elected to office, right, if you don't understand the power of messaging. And especially in a complicated state like California, he brings the legal background. He brings that prosecutorial, you know, gusto. But he also brings an understanding 
of messaging and communications and if he sees the value in this, which there has been some signals that he is in favor of doing what he can at the agency level to advance telehealth and or support legislative efforts where needed. So that could be a big advantage moving forward uh, as opposed to some other secretaries that we've seen in the past. You know, um, most immediate example would be Secretary Azar from the last administration. Pretty different choice. So we'll see how that shakes out, but that'd be my take on it. Speaking of messaging, you know, given this landscape, for those who have been boiling and toiling in the telehealth space, this must be an exciting time, right? But we're seeing new players involved in the discussion as telehealth continues to expand. It, It is perhaps a good time to revisit the issue of how to message on this issue to ensure that there is perhaps a unified voice on what this means, what should expansion of telehealth access, broadband access look like. So I think it's a great time to ask, what would Pat do? At JPA, uh, we, we are always talking about the opportunity to elevate an issue and the power of messaging and communication in public affairs. So, Pat, what is your perspective um, given the current landscape? Well, I, I don't disagree with the great points you both have made. I guess the, one of the things that I would question, though, is you know, looking into this a little more deeply. We've already had a down payment of about $7 billion for telehealth. It looks like that we may need as much as another $20 billion to expand broadband access so that telehealth is truly available in even the farthest, most remote corners of the country. And for me, the $20 billion, I think the investment for, to expand broadband that is essential for telehealth, I can't see Congress passing a $20 billion plus bill right now on telehealth. What I can see them doing, what I see the opportunity is, is incorporating that into the infrastructure bill and making the case that broadband, you know, I think everybody agrees is an essential infrastructure. And the what we've done in telehealth is just a down payment and it needs to be completed in the infrastructure bill. And now that bill's we're talking about two trillion dollars, right? So what's a few billion extra here and there for uh, telehealth, if, if that 20 billion broadband is the essential component of telehealth. And to get there and to bring it together, you know, I think that's where you can get a, I think a couple of things. One to your point, Adjua, earlier, I think one we call is telehealth and not telemedicine, because telehealth brings in a significantly wider group of stakeholders that would care about this. And I think that the people who, the constituencies that are going to care about that $20 billion investment in broadband are the same ones who are going to be important to the future of telehealth and passing substantive telehealth legislation going forward. So why not bring them together? And if you think about that, when you bring that coalition together, you have the rural health advocates can be there, right? So um, obviously, the inequities between access and urban and rural health is tremendous. There's been, a, I think, a, the number something like 135 or 40 rural hospitals have closed in the last 10 years. And, and senators representing rural states are acutely aware of that. And so they want to address that and bring care to people where they live instead of, instead of the opposite of what we're doing now is taking people from 
where they live and bringing them to care, which is often very expensive and it's inconvenient. It involves air and ambulances and other expensive types of transportation if we're lucky enough to get the sick people there in time. So I think we have rural advocates that would come in that would be huge on that. Rural audiences, rural people tend to be older in general, so you can bring in senior advocates there as well. And I think also when you think about keeping people in their homes longer, giving them access to telehealth, telemedicine, medical devices at home that may be wireless that would help their care teams know what kind of shape they're in. So I think there's a good opportunity there to bring in senior audience as well because it dovetails nicely with that rural audience. Uh, the medical device industry, I think, would be all over this if we think about truly making telehealth integrated into the care paradigm. It's not just a face-to-face conversation with your physicians. Physicians can't learn enough from that. What they need is they need the patient's blood pressure. They need to know what their weight is. They need to know what their blood oxygen level is. And and the medical device industry is making a lot of those integrated wireless technologies and devices right now. If we can get those to people in rural areas, I mean, suddenly now they're having a significantly more robust conversation with their clinician. Uh, and the clinician can monitor them significantly better. And so I think that brings, as I said, the medical device people into this coalition. Beyond that, a lot of the information we'll start getting and what's going to start getting better is coming from wearables that people have. And so it may be a wireless diabetes monitor, you know, an insulin monitor, or it may be something else that kind of crosses the line between a wearable and a medical device. And so then you can bring in the consumer electronics people as well as part of this. And finally, of course, I haven't even mentioned the telemed people, right? So they want to be in on this. So I think, I think by expanding the definition to telehealth and focusing on that effort in the infrastructure package, I think you have a huge opportunity to bring together some really unique uh, bedfellows to push for the investment in, and chain, in broadband infrastructure. And then the changes to telehealth going forward that will radically change care in America. And I think it's where we want to be. I think it's the future. And I think it's the opportunity that all these groups should start looking at now, thinking about, we need to get this done. The next big thing that the administration has said they want to do after this COVID relief package is infrastructure. And so let's start carving out that and developing that definition of the role of telehealth as an investment that's needed from an infrastructure point of view. I mean, you you touched on so many different groups already. You're talking everything from medical devices to rural advocates to senior advocates to the traditional telehealth advocates. I didn't even mention the I didn't even mention the physician community and the caregiver right. community, right? They and of course they're going to have a voice in this too. So I, I think everybody has a role, has the opportunity to weigh in on this. And traditionally, they wouldn't talk about an infrastructure package so much. And I think it might be new for them and. You know, as we talk about here at JPA, the why, I think if they start talking about why this is important and why it's necessary, they can have a really strong voice in this debate. So what needs to happen? Does it, does it start with the, a policy conversation, but, or does it start with looking at the current solutions that are happening that have already been put in place within the health community itself and looking at expanding those? You know, because currently... Basically, what you're saying, Pat, is that this coalition of unique players really doesn't currently exist in a real way. So how do we get started then on on bringing these folks together? That's a good question. And 
parts of them all exist in their separate spheres. And I don't think there is a unifying forum where they're coming together. And there's plenty of organizations in DC, you know, bipartisan policy commissions, things like that, where it could start. I think really what it takes is it's going to take a, an insightful organization that wants to bring these folks together just to, to hold that forum, to bring them all together and say, okay, where's our common ground? We, we all want, own parts of this. We all want to see it for a variety of reasons, but let's define the common ground we all can agree on broadly. And let's see if we can work on that. And so whether it's the device manufacturers, you know, the insurers maybe would be interested in it. You think of an unlikely um, group in here, but the insurers are ultimately, they, they're kind of squeamish a little bit. I wouldn't say squeamish, but you know, they're, they're looking to say what, what's going to happen with telehealth. They're also covering millions of people, tens of millions of people in rural areas who have trouble getting the care they need. And maybe instead of having good, you know, maintenance of care, crash into acute events and then the insurers are paying more. And so maybe the insurers see a, you know, a role to play in keeping people healthier, which is where our healthcare system wants to go anyways and be more of a, not a sick care system, but a healthcare system. I think you know, there's a few organizations like that, groups of stakeholders that have the size, capacity, and voice to bring these groups together, and they're the ones that really need to do it. If they do it smartly they'll have, and bring in a disparate group of voices, they'll inoculate themselves of just working in their own self-interest. They'll actually have a coalition that can be seen as advancing health and telehealth for the right reasons. And I think that for some industries, that halo effect is really important because maybe they haven't had it in the past. So, you know, I think anybody can do it. They just need to be committed to it. They just got to call us. They got to do it. We'll help them. <laughs> so, Pat, I wanted to ask you also, because um, you mentioned some of these different trade associations that could potentially do this. This obviously would include some cross-sector right collaborations. Um, you mentioned some of those disjointed sort of groups that don't necessarily talk to each other because they don't have a common thread. But in your experience, particularly within healthcare, I'm sure we've run into that before, right? Where in the healthcare ecosystem, there are certain groups who don't necessarily talk to one another to achieve a common goal. What have been, you know, kind of some of your, our successes at JPA where brought together some of those sort of disparate parts, for lack of a better description, uh, and kind of coalesce them around one goal or a campaign or a policy issue, something to that effect. Yeah, I think if we went through them all, it would be a longer <laughs> podcast. Sure. Uh, but, you know, certainly, it, and it, a lot of it comes, I think, putting aside the specific uh, examples of success, because anybody who wants to know those can just call us home and we'll talk about those. I think it's really the mentality of how we approach things. And when, when we pull together coalitions or we work with uh, groups on these types of efforts, it's what we do and it's how we think about it. Is if we keep the patient in mind, right, and, and the patient's needs and, and why we're all here, which is ultimately the patient. Because if I think any one of our clients, you ask them whether they're a pharmaceutical company, whether they're a professional medical society, a trade association, a device company, if you ask them why they're in this business, they all talk about making life better. And I think when we use that as our kind of convening principle, 
and it's, it's almost appealing to a higher belief of, of we're all here for the patient. I think that that's a, just puts us in a better place. And it's a, a mindset that has always worked well for us at JPA in general, but I think also for when we do collaboratives or coalitions or whatever we want to, you know, advocacy campaigns, whatever we want to call them. And we, we keep that in mind. Uh, we find we have better agreement and more consistency among the members and kind of more adherence to our goals, our larger goals. So happy to talk about the, the individual successes that we've had along the way, but I think it's, it's more the mindset of how we approach these things. Well, you've heard it from the experts, folks. To elevate the issue of telehealth in this split Congress, we need industry leaders to bring unique key perspectives together and engage with an interested Senate that wants and is looking for solutions. Thank you for joining us today on this episode of Elevate. Join us next time and please contact us, share with us on what topics you might be interested in us discussing next. Thank you.